Hi, welcome to Nathan's Freedom Zone. We're here with Karen Lee, a recent guest on Chance's Interverse podcast. Welcome to Nathan's Freedom Zone, Karen. Thank you. I love the title of it. <laughs> Freedom is so precious, and it's wonderful you recognize that. Right. Who doesn't love freedom, Freedom, right? I mean, that's what everybody really wants. Yes, the mystery of it is, for many of us who desire the freedom, we don't realize we're like a canary in a birdcage, but the door is open. We can fly free when we recognize our true nature and relate to the world in a different perspective. Yes, that's a very healthy outlook. I really like that. It is a learning process that goes on for infinity, it seems like to me. I don't. Do you think it ever stops? There is no end to the deepening or the learning, the love or anything that uh, is reflected outside of our seeming selves. Right, because it would get boring if there was an end. I, that's what I came to the conclusion. You... Yes, we're all ordinarily unique, but I always imagine going into the Baskin Robbins and all they've got is vanilla. Yeah, that would be kind of boring, right? I mean, it seems like you can just make up whatever color you want in our little color spectrum that, I mean, who knows where we'll end up, but... <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. I, I cannot imagine a color that doesn't exist, but there are so many... You, I believe you work in the web system, so you know all about the, uh, the charts that show the true web colors as you're picking and choosing how you're designing. Yeah, they, they attach numbers to it, but somehow it goes into like millions of colors on the computer, but that I'm sure that's only the beginning of the actual reality. Yeah, that, that would be kind of fun to explore, because some people think that the, the universe is like a hologram, or they're into the uh, fractals, I, the Mandelbrot fractal, I believe, where you just keep going in and in and in, and it's always the same but your, your depth keeps uh, proceeding ahead of you. Yeah, and the funny thing about fractal, the Mandelbrot fractal, is it's always the same, but it's always slightly different. So there's no end to the variation. Isn't that kind of weird? I love it. Uh, for me, again, getting back to the freedom, part of freedom is always having the opportunity to choose something new and to change up whatever um, is of interest to you to, uh, to modify. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it, I think you're right about the holographic universe. It seems like uh, it was a, just a system that somehow has existed for eternity. I don't know what to put. You can't put it in a box, but it's well, almost... Uh, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's almost a way for God you know, the knowing, every essence, to uh, explore all of the uh, different aspects of possibility or something like that, right? Well, that is beautiful. Awareness being aware of itself in its infinite variation. I'm, I was interrupting you because I was going to say I'm one of those people who doesn't believe there's really time. I believe all we have is now, but people kind of came up with the whole concept of time and calendars so that they could kind of categorize where they are in the now. <laughs> yeah, I was having a discussion earlier today with uh, my friend Paul, 
do I do landscaping with? And I was telling him that in God's mind, there is no time because I have a very exciting uh, ceremonial event tomorrow. And I'm already sort of feeling the spirit talking a day ahead of time. And I noticed that every time I do this type of peyote ceremony with the Native Americans, I start to get little hints from the spirit way ahead of time. That makes sense because you're being prepared. I often find I have difficulty sleeping the night before some sort of a healing ceremony. And before the recent events with the Hurricane Harvey, I woke up totally depressed and then found out later that it was uh, a weather event caused uh, and it wasn't from me. I think it's beautiful that you're willing to expand your mind and do it in a sacred way. I have a BA in anthropology. Don't hold it against me. But I never uh, studied the uh, Plains Indians uh, as much. So I'm open to uh, learning with you. Yeah, in Missouri, there's a church that has legal protection to have uh, both ayahuasca and peyote ceremonies. And it's only an hour and a half from where I live. So in the last year, I've probably been to 18 ceremonies. So it's been quite a ride and a very, very evolutionary year for me. Have your ancestral lineage talked to you during the, uh, or after the ceremony? Yeah, like my actual family that's that's alive right now, or? Uh, that, it could be that, but I'm thinking more of the grandmothers, the grandfathers, and so forth that preceded you in this life. Well, it's almost like the spirit of the plant itself and the nature is so old and timeless that it, the lessons that it can teach you are beyond what any sort of mortal can, um, you know, the mortals, they can begin to teach these concepts with words. You can actually get quite, quite a lot of high-level information transferred with words. It just seems like some of these plant spirits have this catalyzing uh, effect of making you evolves much, much faster and speed, speeding up your thinking. And it's almost like they know the difference between right and wrong to such a fine-tuned uh, perception of, of harmony and nature that I had, I, a few years ago, I got into uh, the introductory knowledge of the difference between right and wrong. And um, a teacher that both Chance and I have been influenced by, his name is Mark Passio. He has a podcast called What on Earth is Happening? And he really de-occulted a lot of the wisdom traditions. And one of it, his basic thesis was that the all of the problems in the world all begin in people's minds. And their feelings and their behaviors all determine the external shared reality that we have to experience. And the only way to transmute that into something that's more pleasant, if that's what you want to do, is to get into harmony and an understanding of the eternal natural laws, as he calls them. I totally agree with what you just said uh, from your teacher-student, Mark. Uh, when you have the ceremony, you're having a direct experience that is unfiltered by anything 
other than the experience itself and your openness to the oneness of all that there is and its natural perfection. So it makes sense that the plants communicate. It makes sense that rocks, so-called, are sentient beings, crystals, so forth, have messages. Trees talk. So uh, I see you going down a path of truth, and it's That's quite right. lovely. That's right. I actually had a discussion with a member of the tribe, and uh, we might have been speaking... Um, we were using the same words, but I don't know if he was describing the same concept or idea as me or not. But we were having sort of a philosophical argument, you could say, about whether or not truth exists. And he was convinced that it, there is no truth, but then he would turn around and say there, there are such things as facts. And he was like, he, he made this distinction between truth and facts. And it might have just been some sort of word uh, corruption in our in both of our brains i don't know i've been working on him he was saying that there's no such thing as objective truth and i was i had asked him so is that statement itself a subjective truth because under your definition that means it's true for some and false for others and that so that very statement allows for me to have this position where there is such a thing as objective truth that nullifies your position <laughs> It was, a, it was a, we could go. <laughs> I took a course uh, briefly. I went back to study journalism after I graduated from college. And they lost me when somebody said, uh, journalism is the best version of the truth. Also, words can only point. And pointing isn't the same as what is. And all of us kind of have a truth detector. In other words, you recognize when you're being lied to, even if you're lying to yourself. You feel it maybe in a part of your body or there's that little tickle at the back of your mind. But truth is truth. Sometimes it's fierce, like storms. Sometimes it's compassionate, loving, like a mother and a child. It's all truth. So when you observe the animal kingdom, which has no words, that's the closest I think we can come, is to the silence where everything comes from and returns to. It's what's between the breaths, and it's very subtle, and it's easy to get distracted from all of that. Yeah, Walter Russell describes the uh, knowing stillness in pretty much the same same way, he would say the essence of God is the uh, unmanifested stillness, whereas the thinking of God is uh, everything that you see in all of the action and movement and male-female and black and white and different colors. But you don't want to mistake that for the God uh, of itself. So... Uh, there's a lot to learn from all the different teachers, but I really like Walter Russell. That, uh, what you, again, spoke resonates with me as truth. I actually got a truth signal when I learned how to channel, because when a person is willing to open themselves up to non-physical entities, for me at least, it's important that they be of a high vibration, and I choose Christ consciousness. 
So, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there are entities that are like coyote tricksters and they want to influence you. So my truth signal was I want my thumb to wiggle. So when I was being uh, attuned to being a channel, a house fly landed on my thumb three times. And I've always trusted that. And uh, I always screen by asking, are you from the light and heart of God? Uh, and you have, in spiritual law, if you ask three times, whatever entity is communicating to you has to say yes or no in truth. So that way uh, you can screen and you can always banish any uh, being who's talking to you, even uh, if they say they're so-and-so and they feel the same, but it doesn't write to you, just banish them. And if you call on them, uh, the form that you recognize will come back with their own energy signature. Yeah, it's, uh, you have to use your own discernment and trust your own intuition. And one way to filter out bad information is to compare it with other information that you've gathered along the way and to look into um, all of the information available from all the different sources. And then when you have that knowledge base and then you, you find some channeled information like the raw material, for example, which was written in the 70s, it was supposed to be channeled from a sixth density collective consciousness through a person who was uh, in a deep trance sleep state and they would arrange objects in the room in a certain way according to the thing's instructions and then it would use her body while she was asleep and it could channel for about an hour and a half and then it would be drained and then it would uh so it, it wrote all this great information down and they have four or five books i've read two of them but at the same time you don't want to just buy everything that that thing is saying at face value just because it claims to be the raw and everything you always have to use your own judgment and weigh whether you know see if it's could be wrong about something or not and in my judgment it seemed like it was pretty right on about most of the things i was talking about so it was it was a very neat book i read two of the four books there are universal spiritual laws that are I don't know if inviolate is the correct word, but it's just like whether you believe it or not, if you drop something through gravity, it tends to go down. And in spiritual law, uh, there is a uh, constant. And that's how also when you are reading and acquiring the wisdom, it will all agree with each other, regardless of the source, because it's coming from the oneness and divine source. Uh, I had another thought about what you were saying, and I'm seeing if I can collect it. But uh, Oh, I was going to say that when I, as a channel, I don't exactly trans-channel. I uh, invite the being I work with is called Sananda or Sananda Council. He's a being of Christ consciousness, as is the council. And uh, I type what is said to me. I started off uh, doing the non-dominant hand writing, automatic writing, and then I just evolved it to, I want to channel with my eyes open. And if I'm writing an essay, which I post on my minds.com blog, I want to be able to see it, type it, and edit it. 
but it comes through my personality and my vocabulary. And also when I start to channel, it's like walking into a river. You feel the, the, the river's energy, but it's not until the current is fully flowing that you get the whole experience. And that's what I find it is with channeling. That's uh, very nice. I'm glad that you're doing that. I wanted to tell you a story of a message that I had channeled a couple of years ago. And I was going to pull up the message in my email and read it to you. It was kind of short, but the way that I did it, it sort of just, the intuition just came to me right there on the spot. I hadn't really planned it or anything. But I was using another plant teacher called Salvia Divinorum, and it sort of gets you in contact with a certain frequency that, and it amps up your imagination. And so I was, you know, in the zone for five or ten minutes, and I was, it was starting to slow down and wear off, and then I got the intuition I would jump up and grab a pen and paper. And so I did that, and I was still having visions, and it felt like a consciousness had used my body, you know, with my permission to write down a message, and I was just uh, allowing it to flow and not really thinking about any of the words that I was writing, and one of the most profound things came out. And I want to read it to you, but uh, you take the stage while I search for this email a little bit. Maybe you have something on your mind that you would like to share with my listeners or just with me in general. Well, I'm going to share uh, what I always hear, which is all is well in your world. That regardless of circumstances, when the phenomena that comes and goes, be it weather, challenges in life, even joys of life because often people forget if if they're feeling quote-unquote love they want to grasp because they don't want that to end or on the other hand if they're feeling something they don't like on the bus bench of life sitting next to them they want to push it away but when one accepts where you are and realize it's not the events of the world it's your view of them and you're able to step back and not automatically react like a robot. Uh, you know, the rock'em sock'em robots. You, you touch the button and they start going in the toy frame. Well, we do that in human life. Uh, we're triggered, which is a common word these days. But the difference is when you're living in the now moment, you respond and you're in the present moment and then something else can occur. Yeah, yeah. I remember on Chance's podcast, you had mentioned that one of your favorite teachers was Osho. And I, I did read one of Osho's books. It's called uh, Love, Freedom, and Aloneness. I don't know if you read that one, but it was sort of about the a more harmonious way to just have uh, relationships with humans in a more communal society that's less fear-based and also accepting being alone and and not running trying to run from it or uh, trying to do something as if it's a problem which was a big deal for me and it was something that the peyote spirit especially had worked on me for almost a good year i had a habit of uh, chasing the dragon is what i would call it where I felt like there was something wrong and I needed to go out and find something to fix it. And it was sort of like a mental 
virus or something that I had picked up and it caused me tons and tons of misery because the more I looked for it, the more and more bad I would feel. It, is, it was a pattern and it took me a long time to get out of it, but I finally did. And that was sort of at the beginning of this year when I started to snap out of it. Well, congratulations on the liberation of that ideation and energy that was tossed after it and understanding and embracing all of who you are. I similarly felt like that, like I was the uh, proverbial square peg in the round hole and that people, I was paranoid. I felt that I could get along with a few people one-on-one, -on -one, but in group situations or parties, I, I would just feel lost and out of place. And I was a corporate wife. And I would go to these cocktail parties. I wasn't a drinker. I finally figure out I had to just hold like a glass of 7-Up so it looked like I was drinking something. But I was totally lost. Uh, it was a sorority girl environment as corporate wives, and I, I was just the odd woman out. And what I finally, in maturity, have realized, there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. And that in an expansive solitude, especially both of us have the, cop, have the uh, ability to contact the non-physical, you're never really alone. You've got your guardian angel, you've got your totem animal or animals, you've got uh, the elders that have passed on before you that have wisdom to share, and so on. So you're never really alone. It's just thinking it, again, makes you uh, respond in certain ways. Yeah, and... Another of Walter Russell's teachings is the uh, nature of God's thinking is in a rhythmic, balanced interchange where, and it applies to so many different concepts, like the concept of aloneness. There will be a rhythm in nature where for a time period, you're going to be alone and there's nothing you can do about it. But at a certain time, when the time's right, you'll switch back into community and there will be people around. And one of the secrets of being in harmony with this principle of rhythm, which is also a hermetic principle, is to accept when the tides have turned and you're going back into aloneness and not fear and fight it and try to swim upstream when it's impossible to do that. Instead, you ride that uh, alone time and you use it to your advantage to do whatever it is that needs to be done or to learn what needs to be learned or to rest. Whatever the Spirit tells you. That makes complete sense. Life, and again, I believe that may be one of the universal laws and principles as you just spoke of, the law of harmony. And life is a waveform. There's nothing real or material. It's just our eyes and our brains are not able to see how quickly everything is winking in and out because the atoms and so forth are vibrating. I think it's called brownie in motion. So to be able to accept and go with the flow, we call it uh, in the group that I learned, going back to Osho, I learned from a woman who'd lived on the ranch. She, she used to be a swim instructor, and she left New York and came to Osho's ranch. I guess it was in Oregon. And uh, she sold everything, and she became part of that community. And it was a very disciplined tribe, 
But one of the fun things about it was he said, you're not ready for what I have to teach you. So we're just going to pretend and play along for a while until you're able to absorb the information. So uh, she had what she called the Osho Meditation Center, and I would go there in San Diego. And her teacher was Gangaji. Gangaji now lives in Ashland, Oregon. She's married to Eli Jackson Bear, who's known for the uh, Enneagram as a tool of transformation. And they, she's part of the lineage of Ramana Maharshi and HWL Punjaji, Papaji, and they teach Advaita. And that's an all-inclusive, non-dualistic approach to life, that you are not outside as an observer, but you're in the circle as part of the oneness. So the further the circle expands, the more of a horizon you have and perspective to uh, see the world with different eyes. Yeah, that brings up uh, one of Mark Passio's riddles that he put on the show. It was, uh, how does one know definitively that one is suffering? And uh, the answer is, as one suffers, all suffer. So if anybody around you is suffering, then you are also suffering. And uh, it's a very, very uh, profound statement, but it sort of teaches empathy and one of the, another thing that comes up that I've learned from the ayahuasca teacher and, and other teachers is the concept of uh, paradoxes in nature and how there are often two sides to the different coins that might seem like you have to pick one side or the other. And you brought this up on uh, Chance's podcast. The, the same coin has two sides. So one of those coins is uh, one of those sides of the coin is the side of suffering. And then the other side of that coin is the side of joy and happiness. And it's the same coin. So you could also put the riddle this way. How does one definitively know that one is happy? And then the answer would be, if anyone around you is happy, then you are also happy. But the, the real answer is that you are always happy and you are always suffering. It's just a matter of degree. And the goal, I think, is just to move wherever it is that you want to be on that spectrum. And it's another one of these waveform spectrums where there will be times where you, there's more suffering and less joy, and then there will be times that there's more joy and less suffering. And I think accepting that helps you to ride with that flow and use it to your advantage and maybe even uh, start to manipulate um, the external world or your internal emotions to get out of those uh, downward spirals as soon as possible. Sometimes you just have to ride them out and uh, feel the emotions and allow the thoughts, because the thoughts are another paradox. You do have control over the thoughts, but at the same time, the thoughts are almost another self that you don't have control over. So... You don't have full control over them, but at the same time, you do. And uh, there's it, sometimes you just have to let those negative thoughts flow out and then be done with them. I found that to be very helpful. It's a, sort of an emotional purging, but you don't have to just wear those thoughts as your identity and think that they'll never change and just be attached to them. You know, like you could call that victim thinking or thinking that, well, people abused me, so I have to abuse everybody else. <laughs> I am well aware of that. And um, 
my definition of suffering is different than yours. My definition of suffering is forgetting, and part of the earth journey is to purposely have the amnesia, to have the joy of discovering that you are what you seek and what your true nature is. So to me, suffering is what causes separation from the divine oneness of all, it, and also from the ability to contemplate that. For example, some people suffer through pain, and I understand it, it feels terrible in the physical body, but it's also a distraction, because if I've stubbed my toe, I'm not going to be thinking about God as much. I'm going to be thinking, I want this to stop hurting. So there are many circumstances, but it's all the possibility that it can be the learning experience, the grist for the mill, as it were, to see and be purified and see what God truly is, what love truly is. One of my favorite quotes that I learned from Shihito is, love is not to make you happy, love is to purify you. And so we're like the uh, Marines commercial where they're tempering the sword. It takes the heat to make that sword sharp and viable. So we go through these experiences and ultimately we come to self-realization of our true nature is love, peace, happiness, bliss, radiant optimum health, and everything else is like the lampshade over the light hiding what is already there. Yeah, very well said. You have a very nice uh, way with words, Karen. Have you, have you always had that talent? Well, I think so. Um, it's interesting that you mention that. Today on the internet, uh, I watched a video where someone was talking about their Myers-Briggs type. And it's a, a spectrum of 16 combinations of ways people are in the world with the idea of being self-awareness and also awareness of others like at work and so forth if you're going to be on a team. So it's not definitive, but it's just a suggestion of who you are in that snapshot moment. And I'm uh, considered INFP, intuitive, uh, feeling, perceptive, and uh, I can't remember what they all stand for now. Might be uh, intuitive. So the point of it all is that's what we do. Uh, we're creative, we go inside, and we do have these talents. And my writing came out starting when I was 10, writing silly little poems. And then when I was in junior high, uh, I wrote some that were more meaningful. In high school, I won the Poetry Award twice and the Quill and Scroll Award for journalism. And uh, I actually had a handshake book deal to write a book about Native American dolls made by Native Americans and representing them, which I did not complete. And then when I had my miscarriage between my two children, because I'd always had a good sense of humor, I learned how to write and perform stand-up comedy. And that turned into selling jokes that Joan Rivers used in her monologues and eventually being asked by uh, Tom Dreesen, who used to open for Frank Sinatra, if I'd like to co-write a comedy uh, piece with him which I did not follow up on, but uh, that was wonderful. And then after I learned to channel in 2000, 
all these beautiful, short, succinct essays uh, and nuggets that people can resonate with have been coming through. Wow. Uh, you have, you're very, very comfortable on the mic uh, in the podcast. I think this is a very nice format for you. Have you also done other uh, sh you know, podcasts or TV show? I mean, or any type of sort of like public, publicly available? Yes. Um, I... Uh, speak in sort of sound bites and I listen and I follow the Barbara Walters principle of free information. As people are talking, you follow up on something that is of interest to you and follow that thread and then new ones come in. So I don't do a pre-planned, you know, I've got to get this agenda, this point across, I've got to sell my book or whatever. But I did have an internet radio show uh, and I've worked with a girlfriend who's also kind of uh, been the mistress of ceremonies of radio shows. And I've been the Ed McMahon sidekick. <laughs> and I do enjoy, I, I have that paradox of being shy in the sense of wanting to hide behind the typewriter. And at the same time, I have gone to the comedy store in Los Angeles and done the five minute open mic. So I've got a little bit of look at me and a little bit of don't look at me. Come close, go away. <laughs> yeah, it's a very nice uh, to have multiple talents. I wanted to show you, since you had brought up earlier about living rocks and different parts of consciousness, I wanted to show you a thing that I created this week. So take the stage again, and we might actually pause it. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, because I do need a break, so we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. We were, me and Karen were just talking about uh, our favorite colors, or maybe not necessarily her favorite, but she's wearing purple, and I'm wearing something that looks a little bit purple. It's, I was telling her that my favorite color was green, and a funny thing is that I think green and uh, magenta, which purple is in a, a sort of off magenta or some sort of related to magenta. Magenta is a very bizarre color, though, because... It's not actually on the light spectrum. It's invented by your brain whenever you see both blue and red light at the same time. Did you know that, Karen? No, I'm totally fascinated. And I love magenta. And uh, I guess that goes along with me having invisible friends. I have invisible colors. <laughs> right. I think green is sort of the color of balance between the polarities of blue and red. In our uh, world, and wherever you see a lot of green, it seems like you're getting both the, the male red fiery energy from the sun and also just enough water to create all the beautiful life. So, I, once, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is basically dry land farming with sprinklers, and it's very brown most of the time. And one of our big local parks was called Griffith Park, and that's where the zoo was and other uh, city facilities. And one year as I was driving by Griffith Park, the grass had turned green, and I started to cry. And now I live in Oregon, and it's a very green state. Right outside my door, I have all kinds of foliage. I'm in the midst of... Sounds like we might have lost you, Karen. I see it's unstable. Yeah, you're back. I hear you now. Go, go ahead. You live in Oregon. Um, 
It's very, very green. green. Yeah. Many, many trees, of course, for the logging. And where I live outside my door, I'm in a trailer park, but it's uh, on the earth, no asphalt and painted lines. So I have tall trees, I have bushes and foliage, and we're really big around here with the rhododendron plants, which are quite lovely. Cool. Uh, so what color is rhododendron? They come in a variety of colors. Uh, some people know the plant. Uh, now I'm having trouble remembering a plant, but there's sort of a smaller version of it, azalea. And so you get pinks, purples, reds, whites, and I don't know what else. There aren't that many blue blooms that I'm aware of. It's like George Carlin. There's no blue food. Blueberries are purple. <laughs> I think they're uh, pretty blue. I think blueberries are fairly blue. What do you think? I think they're delicious. Yeah, and right. they don't last long enough for me to contemplate around well, here. <laughs> you know, the juice actually is kind of purpley, but the skin is more blue. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I was going to show you a cool thing that I made this week. So here it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, take a good look. What is the material you created it from? It's created from a copper powder that is sphericized. And it's 325 mesh, which is, you know, micron scale. Little balls of copper, little micro BBs. And there's some shungite powder. Have you heard of shungite? No. What is that about? Shungite is like this carbon um, arrangement that's from a meteor, and it's found in Russia, and there's big mines of it there. Really old meteor or something. And it's there very was a large impact in 1910 that destroyed a great deal of Siberia. Really? I didn't even know that. Well, the, the weird things come out of space. Another thing I'm into is moldavite. Oh, which is a, yeah, it's a green stone. Yes, uh, that's actually a fusion of a meteor and the Earth, sort of right where they they collided on the crusty stuff. You get this green see-through stone. It's oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's really nice, especially when you put it up to the light. You can see through it. Yes. Oh, wonderful. I put some moldavite chips in this little thing. And here's a secret. Watch this. I thought so. <laughs> you thought you thought so. How'd it you know? looked like the top might come up, but I'm not sure what I'm seeing. There's a quartz crystal sticking out. You oh, see that? beautiful. Yeah, quartz I, is a wonderful harmonizer. Yeah, that's great. I love quartz. I'm wearing a big one, right? You see it? Uh, oh, my gosh, yes. It's the uh, granddaddy of all quartzes. <laughs> Wear it, as we say in my family, in good health. <laughs> thank you. I'm really into all this energy stuff. These I look. get the shaman energy from you. Oh, well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> I think we've Maybe already I seen it. Maybe I am intuitive. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I'll take that as a compliment. Thanks, Karen. Yes. Now, please tell me about the shaman energy if you care to share. Well, you get to be the shaman uh, as a matter of proper aging and temperance and learning the lessons and applying the lessons and tuning into the spirit. Uh, the plant medicines catalyze all of that, I think. 
So I've had my share of plant medicine up to this point. Tomorrow we're having a ceremony with another peyote ceremony. So I'm very excited about that. Here's another uh, shaman trick. I was brought this up earlier with the salvia divinorum and the channeling. So uh, this was something that I channeled probably four years ago now. Half half out of a salvia sort of visionary, short visionary thing with salvia. So I we already went over that, but here it is. The other world is there. It is around all around you and I. We are together. We are plants that bear fruit. Those who no longer bear fruit will be ripped up to make new ones. The whole garden is contaminated with disease. You have been given this special knowledge. You must fight for your survival or you will be choked out by the sick ones around you. Share this medicine with others so that the maker will look at your area with pleasure. He has his roundup can and he is destroying those who have gone bad before they ruin the whole crop. Whoever reads this, know that I am watching you and judging you. You are okay for now, but I have new seeds that are full of life, and they will feed off of your death. We are one. That is beautiful. I'm so glad you shared that and that you came up close to the monitor for me to really take that all in. And uh, words fail, but that's beautiful. Oh. And I, my heart is open. That's how I can tell also. That's another one of my truth detectors. When I was younger, we haven't talked about it, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, I grew up in a home that was abusive. Uh, by the time I was three, I knew I didn't want to go home. Uh, it wasn't safe for me. I had physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I had a father who was a traveling salesman and a mother who was psychotic. And uh, by the time I was 10, she was staying behind the door. And uh, it was like this door that you didn't open. And she was in her flannel nightgown, unless she was asking you to make her endless cups of tea or something like that. So it was a difficult childhood. And why am I telling you this? We were talking about the seeds. Well, we were talking about shamanism and... Uh just let it out if you need to. Well, in any case, um, that sort of set me up where I could have become abusive, which often happens. I didn't mention I'm also an adult child of an alcoholic or two. Uh, but that suffering that we talked about was the doorway to the soul for me. And that's why I was on this endless quest for healing. And as Jan Bradshaw used to say, one book away from recovery. And uh, the spirituality and the oneness and so forth has healed all that. And so my biggest life accomplishment was having genuine love and forgiveness for my father before he died. And completely clearing that energy and relationship to the point where we would talk, we would joke, and instead of being an authority figure, he was a friend and an equal, and someone who I could respect and love for the qualities that he brought with him in that time of his life. So I don't know why I brought that up, but I'm sure it was triggered by something. 
Well, you did mention uh, some of that on Chance's podcast too. And it's uh, always very good to uh, share, if the Spirit leads you, the suffering that you might have gone through in your life. Because other people, all everyone has their own cross that they carry around or their own baggage that they're working on. And a lot of the lesson is to just drop it, kind of, but it takes some time. You know, I was working on baggage for the last year. I even drew out of a out of a uh, sort of like tarot deck, but not. It was a, a Native American sacred way card deck is what it called. And I drew uh, a card late last year that was called the uh, something about baggage and that I needed to drop baggage. You know? And so I really worked on that and I'm still working on it even today. I still have the thought tendencies that go back to scarcity and fear and it, I think part of the key is you recognize that and you just, um, once you are able to recognize these patterns and you sort of connect the, the dots of how that manifests things in your life or it feeds, feeds back into itself and where that's leading you, you can uh, sort of set back and you don't even have to force it to go away. Sometimes you just let it ride out, but you don't have to be attached and put energy into that um, bad path of thinking which leads to what you don't want to manifest yeah papaji called that uh gnawing on the bones of the past you kind of keep ruminating uh i i didn't realize i told the story to both you and chance so clearly there's work to be done in terms of letting go uh so i appreciate that you brought that up and uh yeah the, there's emotional charge that is neutralized when you go to the root cause and you are able to harmonize and balance that so when you think about an event or a person that used to bother you in some way or disturb you if you can say well if I saw that person again in that situation or I went back to that event would it bother me the same way and then you can future test and say, if I were to run into someone like that again, would it bother me or disturb me or the event? And when you can say, nope, smile and laugh it off, then it's never going to bother you again the same way. I do um, NLP timeline therapy. And what that basically does is you focus on finding the root cause. Uh, you go back like a bee flying over your timeline to when the event or chain of events that caused it, you get the lessons that will balance it. Then you go back to 15 minutes before all of that occurred and you look toward now, you turn around. And if you don't see that event anymore, that's it. It's gone. It's a, it's a wonderful tool for people like me. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I remember you also brought up EFT. And uh, that stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. Uh, another person who was a victim of abuse that's a big influence in my life, his name's Jay Parker. He was a speaker at Free Your Mind Conference uh, in the last few years. And he was a guest on Mark Pascio's um, podcast a few times. And he had his own podcast going for quite a while. He the, This year he had been battling Lyme's disease and he had uh, been having a fundraiser to get some 
different treatments, alternative therapies. I thought I saw sent him a bottle of uh, Shiaga, which is something that the Native American chief here has. Uh, it's a type of mushroom extract that is pretty unique. So I've been taking it, and uh, it was supposed to be really good for immune and all types of stuff. So I sent him some of that. But the EFT is a tapping technique that you mentioned on uh, Chance's podcast. And I have worked with it quite a bit. I haven't really done it since uh, really not that much this year. But what you do is you do a little tapping routine. And I actually found out that I might have been doing it a little bit wrong (laughs) because it was still working a little bit. But what I had missed was that you really want to focus on each individual point a lot before you move on to the next point. That's just what somebody told me. It might have, I'm sure there's many ways. It's to like do it. an umbrella. There's little ribs in the umbrella. So you get little pieces and parts of what's going on. And you work with each of those pieces and parts until you're done with it. And then you're truly done. So in some ways you get the partial relief. But uh, wanting the full relief requires an awareness and treatment of what comes up. A lot of people don't do affirmations because they say it doesn't work or, you know, I'm doing this affirmation and I get this negative response in my head. But that's actually the blessing because that gives you the next thing to treat. This is where your mind is taking you and keeping you from being one with the vibration of whatever you're seeking. So I I like to do that. And I also was introduced to Access Consciousness last year. And it's a formulaic way of speaking to yourself that helps me energetically to, uh, again, take that negative charge off. Plus, when I have uh, a practitioner who's grounded in it, uh, I have wonderful ahas and insights. Yeah, it's a definite process that um, sort of lasts a lifetime. And uh, after you've figured out a certain issue, you can move on to... uh, you know, the next thing that you need to be doing while you're in this incarnation. Uh, one one way that I found to uh, help people who are trying to drop something is to view it, I think, more in alignment with the reality of how the uh, baggage is, which is another one of these polarities between uh, freedom from the baggage and total uh, domination by your past and all of the trauma. So it's a polarity, meaning it's not like one day you just snap out of it, although maybe some people do. It's hard to say. Another paradox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moonstruck comes to mind. Snap out of it. <laughs> yeah. That's probably possible to do, actually. But in my experience, it seems like gradually over time, if you are repeatedly doing these things to correct it and giving it the attention that it needs and not trying to force it out as if, um, you know, it has no free will of its own because these are, a lot of these are mental uh, neuro pathways that took a long, long time. Like the think the thinking uh, habits, that took a long, long time to uh, really solidify in people. And that doesn't mean that you can't change it in a short, short amount of time with uh the right techniques and um, 
you know, the right attitude and the right amount of effort, but it's almost like you have to move yourself out of that polarity of being stuck in the past and stuck on those habits and just gradually one day at a time and one hour at a time learn how to get yourself further and further away from that uh, until one day you just forget all about it. And then, and then a few days later you'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot that that used to bother me. And maybe you'll get a temptation here and there. But if you just stay on that path of not uh, going right back down that drain again, which I'm sure after you get a certain way out of it, out of that downward spiral, you realize it was like, yeah, I just never want to go back there again. And that's sort of when you're free is when you decide that it's like, okay, we've had enough suffering. I was wrong. I have to change my attitude and all, all of the emotions will come with that. And that's like the universal process of forgiveness. If you just admit you were wrong and then you actually change the behavior, which might take a while to get, to get all the way out of there. Or to deeply and completely love and accept yourself with all your characteristics. Uh, I think of it sometimes when there are issues of life that are popping up and some of them are reoccurring and they've totally baffled me. If you've ever been in a swimming pool and you've had a beach ball and you try and push that beach ball down and keep it under the water surface, it's always going to pop back up. It's got a force. Uh, from being pushed, I guess the, the energy wants to pop up again. And that's how life can be. Uh, and uh, embracing the shadow is an important part because it comes down to uh, culture and personality. In certain societies, certain things are tolerated, whereas in other societies, there's other rules. So if you're not conforming and doing what you're supposed to be doing, there may be consequences. For example, in Iroquois society, it's hard for people to say no. I don't know if they never say it, but they rarely say it. So if somebody's approaching them that they know is going to ask them a question that they'll say no, they just walk the other direction. So it affects them in their daily life. And there was a wonderful book about the shadow, which is sort of like you've got the dragon, as you talked about. The unusual way to deal with it is to put your head in the dragon's mouth and then see what happens. Yeah, well, my problem is that I was chasing the dragon because I wanted it so bad that, you know, it was always, like, just that far ahead of me, and then sometimes it would just yeah. not even be there, and then I would just be angry, and I would tell myself that it was hurting, and I would tell myself that everything's terrible. And I slowly, from all of the different angles of life, I, the message was very clear that, I'm sort of generating this entire situation just through my, maybe not the entirety of the situation, because there is other selves involved, but they're sort of a mirror reflection of uh, my own consciousness in an occult sense that becomes more and more obvious the more that you do uh, start to notice it and tune in. So it's like, yeah... Um, you're getting something from the field over and over again, and you don't like it. But uh, you just have to look at how is it that you're contributing to that dynamic, and what can you actually do, or start working on on a daily basis to get out of that wavelength that probably is attracting that. Well, that's 
something that a lot of people can identify with. And you just reminded me of a principle that I learned in my NLP training, Neuro Linguistic Programming, how the mind and body work together in shaping your world and behavior and thoughts. And that's called the parts conflict. I have that because I'm obese. Part of me wants to taste delicious food and other parts of me say, well, it's going to go directly to your hips. So in the parts conflict, you have A and B usually. I guess we're going back to the polarity idea. And what you do is you ask either part, like, why do you want to keep eating cake, for example? For what purpose? And you keep doing that until you actually can get frustrated. And by the time you get to the what purpose question, you know, five or ten times, but eventually you reach a breakthrough. And that breakthrough is you realize that both the part that wants to have a certain standard and the part that is rebelling against it both want the same thing ultimately. And that way you take the one hand and then you take the other hand. Now you've got even more than if either one of them takes dominance in your thinking or behavior. Yeah, I had a very similar pro- problem where what I had wanted from life, I had wanted feminine energy, right? And what I had had a habit of doing is taking that in the form of internet porn. And it was a habit that started young and that had me very, very deep and almost to an addiction, although I didn't realize that's what it was because I thought it was normal. But after I started to pull away from that, I would get intense sort of cravings you could say and i would and i would occasionally relapse and then when you would relapse you would realize like okay this isn't changing the pattern is still the same every time i relapse bad stuff happens even if i did enjoy it so what is it do i even want to do that again it took it took a few you know relapses and i would get better between relapses but it's really been over uh not over but it's been about nine months now and it's like uh, there's days now where I don't even think about it anymore, and I and I very rarely think about it. And it was something that I just had to let go of before actually what I did want would even manifest. And so all of that is sort of turned around. And there was other problems too, like the chasing the dragon thing. But it's been a very long journey. Oh, I'm happy to hear this report, and it just shows that. Anything is possible. And uh, what I found in my life, uh, as I said, I was married for about 21 years. My husband went to Florida for a business trip, and he came back, and he brought me a ring. And it looked like diamond and emerald, but it was really cubic zirconia. And so I kind of gave him a hard time. Surprise, I didn't get more nice jewelry. But the... uh, the thing of it was, I wanted it in a firm, in a form. It's like a demand instead of a preference. And so what you were seeking on the internet was a form of something of a higher vibration that your higher self knew would be good for you. But you started in one place, and now you're finding that other ways of dealing with that situation are uh, better and more meaningful in your life and you feel good about yourself 
it's it's so simple sometimes people don't realize if you feel good do more of it go towards it if you feel bad try anything else but that one thing make new choices and that's where i i believe i mentioned this with chat chance life is a do-over since all you have is now we have each other and i am learning so much talking to you and i appreciate your uh honesty and openness about your life and uh, I keep going off. It must be my ego. It's really interesting uh, how I, I'm losing my train of thought, which tells me it's not important. That whatever I was thinking was an egotistical thought of a point that I was trying to make, but it isn't necessary, and I apologize. Well, if it was that important, it'll come back to you, and then you can throw it in. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to just grab on to those ideas that you were you forgot what it was you were explaining, but you know it's a new moment. So that's another paradox: the idea that yes, it is a do-over. The other side of that coin that is also equally as true is that everything is new in this new incarnation. So it's like there's nothing new under the sun, but at the same time, everything is always new. Yes, uh, I love life like that. And, it's like uh, the Mandelbrot set. Uh, the pattern yeah. is always sort of the same, but if you look everywhere, it's always different, too. How do you explain that? <laughs> the same with variations. It must be mutations of the Mandelbrot. <laughs> yeah, per permutations. Oh, I like that word even better. Very good. Well, thanks. Very good, Nathan. I'm getting better with words. Me and Chance are going to uh, work on a book. I'm probably going to start it. It was my idea, and... Uh, he really liked it, and he said he might he would edit it. And also, I told him he could write a few chapters in it. But the the book title is designed to be a little bit controversial and catchy. So the title I came up with was uh, the the difference between right and wrong, and why you should be right. <laughs> All generalizations are true, are untrue except this one. <laughs> All generalization, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another that's another self contradictory statement. Where if if someone tells you, "Hey, you're generalizing, and therefore what you're saying is not true," it's like uh, that's a self contradictory statement. Just like you brought up, all generalizations are untrue except for this one. <laughs> you're very perceptive, actually. Oh, I love that you're playing with all these shapes. Yeah, I make them. It's called Organite. Oh, wow. This one, it has such crazy energy that comes out of this stuff. It's a secret. Do it's you ever feel akin to Melchizedek or some of the beings with the flower of life and the whole, uh, these forms that uh, are representational? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, this flower of life design, I actually found out another secret. Uh, the cell phone radiation, right? Have you heard of that? Oh. No, I have not. Yeah, electromagnetic frequency, or EMF is what it's called. It's a type of yeah. pollution that actually messes with people's heads. And the amount of uh, Wi-Fi and uh, cell phone towers everywhere and you know power lines, that sort of messes with your head and... As you get more sensitive to it, by do it, making the right choices and what you take into yourself and um, what you do with your energy, 
you start to really directly perceive it, and it's a little bit annoying, I find. I find it to be a little irritating. So I actually <laughs> I found a secret. So I have my iPhone 7, right? And I have these little uh, things that I attach to the back that I made. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And so they're similar to that pyramid. One of them's made out of like half silver, half mineral powder, and the other one's made out of half stainless steel, half copper. And they have a flower of life on them. Nice. So uh, they're they're just like this, but uh-huh. I actually tried it at first. I had stuck this side to the phone, the flat side, yes. and uh, that worked pretty well. But what I was noticing and was the light waves because you and when you get into the zone with the uh, psi abilities and the uh, plant medicine helps with that too the light waves were bouncing off of that flat surface. And it seemed like it was transmuting, transmuting them a little bit too. But it was like if I had the phone and I was behind it like this, then I wouldn't be getting hit with the radiation. But as soon as I turned it this way, it was like it was radiating right in my face. So what I did was I flipped the uh, coin around so that the flower of life design is facing the phone. And I have two of them on here. And now that made all the difference in the world. And it's like you don't even feel it at all. It's like you can put your hand right next to it and you don't hardly feel anything. It's amazing. Just that little frequency and shape changed the whole light wave pattern into something that doesn't really irritate you. Wow. It sounds like you have a product line. I'm also getting your alchemy energy too. Shaman and wizardry combined. Fascinating. Well, the mountain, like we said on Chance's podcast, we're all on the same mountain. So the closer you get to the source, you know, you pick up all the truth, basically. Yes, uh, there's no need to chase the phenomena. They're just a natural part of who we are. Although people come, you know, I think I also use the Osho quote, we're all ordinarily unique. We're all in this together alone. So when we incarnate, we we do have the ability to, you know, some people levitate, some people work uh, as medical intuitives, uh, people such as yourself manifest. Uh, well, I'm, it's not just shielding and protection. You're, you're manifesting other dimensions. When you use the objects that you do, uh, you're piercing the veil. And... We- it's nearer than your own breath. People think, you know, God's upstairs, but you're surrounded. It's like the fish that doesn't know it's in water because the water is always there. You'll like this one. I yeah, will. The, the, other, the other world is all around us was that message that I had channeled. Is, yep, yes. the message I had channeled. But uh, a weird thing that I do, you said I was like manifesting um, other frequencies or something. One thing that I did, I made a pyramid with the copper, right? And I had put salvia divinorum extract in the pyramid. So that stuff's kind of expensive, but I had put a, a good amount of it in there. And then, because I had a theory that if I put psychedelics in the pyramids, it'll blast that energy out. And it totally worked. It did. But it, what, it, what, what I had actually did was um, the, uh, this pyramid sort of in this shape, right? And it created a new universe 
it blasted it out the bottom of it that you can tune into with your mind, especially if you're already in touch with that frequency. You can see it and it blasts out the bottom and it was, it was completely unpopulated and it was just sort of like random colors. And Salvia is a little bit dark and muted as far as the color spectrum. It's not as bright as other ones. So it was just dark colors sort of floating around like watery and uh, you could color things in it and... It was like as soon as I built that, my third eye abilities improved. They stepped up a notch. And it's like every time that I make a batch of organite, just because this stuff is interactive, like the dodecahedron, these things, they sort of look like stars that blast out in all directions, sort of out the faces. And uh, so it's like every, just by making this, I've improved my psi ability. And I'm going to take it to the ceremony tomorrow. And we get really in the zone together. And we sort of have a shared mind experience, almost like telepathy, right? And we were looking at these things last time, and it was like super, super cool. We found out if you will put it on the ground, right, and then you will twist it a little bit, it, the light reflects different, and it completely changes the entire frequency. And there was like certain frequencies that would feel better. <laughs> what I got as you did that was that that is like a key to a door. I think so. I, it's just, it's, I call it. Something that in your normal state you would not have seen. Yeah, and there's like so many different possibilities with these because you can put whatever you want in them. Like I've put yerba mate in some of them. And oh, one, time cool. I, yeah, one time I put a whole bunch of yerba in one and uh, it seemed like I had so much energy that day. So much that it was almost scary. <laughs> I have to tell you how much I'm enjoying our conversation and who you are and how you are going about conducting your life. It is so mind-opening for me. And I'm 68. Obviously, you're younger. But it's so comforting for me to know that there are beings that are so open to all the possibilities, that quantum soup, that can be put together to manifest. And uh, I would like to live long enough to see some of the fruition of what you're choosing to do. Well, thank you. That means a whole lot to me. Um, you did mention that I, it sounds like I have a shop or something earlier when I was bringing up the Organite Shapes. And uh, last night, actually, I just opened a, an, an Etsy store to sell the little things that I make. And I put a, I put a few things on there. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the pricing yet. Right now, um, oh, I, one secret I was going to do, I was going to have people give them the option to pay me in Bitcoin. And, you know, you can message me on there if you want to work a deal out or whatever. But I would like to buy something from your Etsy shop when it's up and running. So please let me know. Well, it's up there right now. So. Oh, I'm going to look. What is the name of the shop? It's called Crystal Spider Alchemy. All one word. I'll, be, I'll email it to you as well. Thank you. It's very interesting that it's crystal spider. Because as you know, in Native American tradition, the spider mother is so powerful. Especially Navajo tradition. So really? You're combining beautifully, again, the path that you're taking up the mountain is eclectic. That's good. I like that. One of the things that Mark Passio says, uh, the trivium method, which was like invented by um, Plato or something, 
wasn't invented by him, but the way that it works is to get to the truth, you want to take in a wide variety of eclectic information sources, meaning information sources that are all uh, not, the, not of the same type. Like if you wanted to learn about God and all you were doing was reading the Bible over and over and over again, you're not going to get as close to the truth as somebody who has read Bible and then they've read the Quran and then they've read the Vedas and then they've also watched a million YouTube videos because they've taken in a much more wide variety of eclectic information sources. And that's, that's called the trivia method, but that's the first step, uh, the uh, input step. And then there's the processing step, which is where you use your conscious and subconscious mind and you intuitively connect dots that are all the same among all these different traditions. And then you filter out inconsistencies and you build sort of a, a puzzle picture, a full picture of what's going on. And then after that, there's the third step of the trivium, which is where you share what you've learned with other people. And that helps to teach others and bring them up to your level, which occultly speaking um, is actually teaching yourself. And that's one of the most important responsibilities on this planet after you you yourself learn something, if you really want to make progress in the manifested output, you have to teach other people things. And it's actually a feedback loop where by doing that, they will teach you things and they will show you maybe mistakes that you've made in your thinking or new information that they've learned that you haven't seen. So it's a process of a never-ending cycle of getting closer and closer to the truth. And I have to agree with you about the more close that people get to the truth, the more they agree on everything. And I think this plays into that raw consciousness of sixth density because he said it was sort of like a crystallized thought uh, community where everybody can see everyone else's experiences. And it sounds like... It's self-evident. It sounds like the only way to get there is actually to get your own self, your full entirety of yourself, your thoughts, um, emotions, and your wisdom, meaning your actions in the world, all in alignment with the actual universal truth. And then you're ready for harvest, which was one of what Ra's, uh, his concepts was that they're har they harvest people when they're ready. And I think all that really means is that after you come in agreement with all of the people who have already figured this stuff out because there are beings in this, you know, timeline that I'm sure are, are probably infinity old. I mean, the source itself, the all knowing is of course never, never ending and never beginning. So it's like once you get into an understanding of the actual truth, it's another spectrum because you don't ever, maybe, maybe you do paradoxically, maybe you do get all the way there at some point. Do you? I don't know yet because I'm not there yet. But <laughs> there is no there. That's the secret. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. It's goal or it's the journey. And the saying that I've always learned is, "We teach what we need to learn." Oh, that too. Oh, and that's it, a good and one. it definitely uh, fits in with what you're speaking of. And I sometimes think of. Uh, you know, when we're talking about all of this, the symbol for an infinity is the figure eight on its side. And in that figure eight, there's a certain spot where one line crosses the other, kind of the midpoint. 
And I kind of think that the universe may be like when you put papers on a spindle and the spindle is going through that figure eight in all its configurations, in all of its manifestations. And somehow that comforts me. <laughs> but it's like a shortcut, like a portal. And it explains how people can travel through dimensionals. Yeah, and what you're describing, the figure eight is sort of a 2D projection of a toroidal field, where if you bring it up to three dimensions, it's like a donut, where it spins around on that axis, like you were oh. saying. And then you have, that's how, that's how universes form. And supposedly everything in the, in the universe is like a uh, torus. And I've actually noticed that your own body field is a torus, where the chakras are that center where it goes up that toroidal donut, and then it'll branch out at the top, and, and the energy will fall out, and it can go in both directions, too. That's interesting, because I am, in fact, on the uh, astrological point, a Taurus. Oh, that's nice. Very My nice. boyfriend is a Taurus. I am in Vedic astro astrology, an earth ox, and in Chinese astrology, I'm also an earth ox. So I'm very consistent in what I came here to do and how uh, I was going to approach this live stream. <laughs> wow. So what, what do you think are some of the like strong points of the uh, Taurus you know, personality, I guess? Well, on the one hand, I'm very stubborn. I rebel against authority. And for me, maturity was when I realized even if my parents or some authority figure told me to do something, I could do it because it was for my own good. And I, I didn't have to automatically rebel. <laughs> That's a good we're, realization. We're very loyal. Sometimes, as they say, we stay too long at the fair. But... Um, there, there's a sense of, it's an earth sign, so there's some groundedness, although I do a lot of uh, life in altered state. So my boyfriend is now my caretaker and my partner in taking care of the mundane every day so that I can be free to stay in the altered state and write and do what I need to do, but I'll also have groceries and a clean house. So, and he does my laundry too. That's very, very, very convenient. I'm glad that you have um, such a supportive uh, other, other self in your life. He is my soul twin. And we met when I had given up uh, my thing uh, that I pursued because I was always baffled by relationships was internet dating. But as a heavy woman, you know, they often will say in an ad, if you look like Roseanne, I'm not interested. Even the so-called spiritual men, they want Barbie. You know, it's like you're holding, you know, it's a sort of a form of a spiritual discrimination too. Anyway, so I, uh, I'd had some really bad experiences with this dating. And uh, I will admit to you, the last boyfriend before this one was a, a certified sex offender who later went back to jail. So I, uh, I definitely had issues about selecting the men that would be in my life. 
So I realized I would have to meet someone in everyday life. And I was going for a doctor's appointment and waiting in the waiting area. He was getting uh, something done in the same area. And we, we started to talk. And it was immediately apparent that we had a connection. And I said to myself, I hope he asked for my phone number. So before he left, he gave me his business card. But then I found out he was married. So I thought, oh, great. You know, uh, I don't want to interfere in somebody's personal life. But here's what turned out. He and his wife had an open marriage. And it's at the point where the three of us are friends. She sends food home to me. She hugs me. She says, do you think Karen would like this? And I'm not asking him to give up his other life at home. Just uh, when we spend time together, it's quality time. And he's my soul twin. And uh, I had a list of what I wanted to manifest in a man. He's everything. The only thing he isn't is six foot tall. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's very nice. That's very nice. Um, that's sort of one of the concepts in Osho's Love, Freedom, and Aloneness book is the idea that um, everybody has to be monogamous and that everyone has to be married is sort of this uh, tradition that who knows when it started, but is not necessarily the uh, the right path for everybody for by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, it's very hopeful that that you were able to find um, some sort of relationship that works, and it's and like taking the pressure off of uh, you know having the person belong to you almost where the you know they're limited to only being able to give you attention. It's good that his wife is uh, in that sort of understanding as well, because if it wasn't that way, then it would obviously cause some kind of conflict. I mean, it would have never made it this far. At the, you know, maybe it would have. It's been but four years, and uh, we've done a hand fasting. We've exchanged marriage vows. I call him my hubby. He is, surprise, Mormon was raised that way. I don't think he's actively practicing it. But yeah, in many societies, for many reasons, uh, men will have several wives. I don't know that there's many societies where women have several husbands. But yeah, uh, and for me, the best part is I'm in that INFP. I need my space. I cocoon. So he goes home. And I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very important to have uh, times where you're, you know, you're not uh, with that one person again because then it would get boring, and then after that, it would start to get actually irritating, and you would just want them to leave, and that's when a lot of marriages fall apart. Is that you know they just don't have a break from each other ever. I don't know. I'm not a marriage counselor, but that seems like <laughs> how I, how it would work. Well, there is some. Some of that, obviously. Now, when I'm with uh, my hubby, there's no sense of time passing. We are just constantly in the now, totally engaged, totally into one another, so to speak. Uh, the other marriage, he was a workaholic. So I felt like a single mother. He was working 80, 90 hours a week. And as I said, he was a successful business person. So uh, my joke about that was I have the best of both worlds. I got his money after the divorce. His second wife has to live with him. 
Well, I'm glad you got a good deal out of it. You deserve it. Well, thank you. And I'm, I wouldn't change a thing in my life. All the choices that I made led me to where I am now, which is so happy, peaceful, fulfilled, aware. I know that I'm devoting the rest of my life to humor, healing, and service. And that's just what's showing up. And again, law of attraction, those are the people that I'm attracting are high vibrational beings who get what, like you and Chance, you get me and where I'm coming from because you, you've walked in those footsteps a little bit. Yeah, you're a very quick manifester too. Um, our email conversation, I just emailed Karen uh, yesterday because I, I had listened to Chance's podcast, his most recent one, I think, with her. And I had just finished it and I had texted Chance because an idea came to me. I was like, I would like to have her on the show because she sounds really, really uh, smart. And so I texted Chance and uh, he gave me um, your email and then I emailed you and then here we are less than a day later. Very, I think very, I emailed back within five minutes or ten minutes of your initial one, too. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's good to be, um, when the Spirit tells you to do something, this is a lesson. If the Spirit is like, you should email this person, and you immediately do it, that's a lot of times the right thing to do. And that'll get you into those parallel dimensions where what you really want will get there way, way quicker. Whereas if the Spirit is trying to tell you, you need to either do this or you need to either stop doing this, and you always are like, well, you, either the fear gets to you where you're, you're afraid to take that first step, and that's something to work on. Or you start making excuses, and maybe the ego is like, well, I really want to do this, and the spirit can just wait, and it's, it's my free will, and I can do whatever I want. And the spirit's like, okay, well, we, we offered our, <laughs> our help, but obviously you're not ready for that yet, so we'll work on you again tomorrow. Right. It's a, it's a free will situation. Uh you can always tell if it's genuine spirit because you're never told exactly what to do. You might get some guidance because you've asked for it, but I've never been told or, you know, this is the only way because there is no my way or the highway. There's something for everybody. And that's part of the beauty of the earth is we're all exploring certain healing modalities work for one people, but not other people but there's a lid for every pot. You just have to keep searching. Yeah, let's take another break, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. All right, we're back. So um, Karen was just telling me a Mark Twain, Mark Twain quote, once you think you've known everything, the most important thing is what's after that to learn. Kind of is how it goes. It's a very good quote. Is, you know, there's always more to learn, always. There is always more. It seems like it. Or is there? I don't know yet. That's another paradox I'm working on. Is it, Do you ever know everything? Maybe you do. Maybe you what do. I tell people is everything I know for sure could fit in a gnat's navel. Do you know that for sure, though? <laughs> <laughs> There's always that element of doubt, isn't there? <laughs> Knowledge is real. You don't ever want to discount your own knowledge and what you've learned so far. It's very important to, to recognize the importance of knowledge itself. It's one of the uh, ingredients to getting the uh, spiritual gold, knowledge. Mark, yeah, I, 
undifferentiate between knowledge and wisdom. Right, yeah, Passio's differenti differentiation of knowledge and wisdom, he says that wisdom is what you do with what you know, and the actions that you take in the manifest of world based on the things that you claim that you know. So, and that's one way to tell a person who is wise is, you know, are they actually doing things in harmony with natural law, and are they getting, you know, what they say they want? Alignment is key. And it's not what we say, it's what we do. It's actually both. <laughs> you have to say the right words. Don't ever underestimate the words. The words are important. That's why we're doing this whole podcast. And see, words by themselves are an action and a frequency. They have the power to change the whole world. That's true. Aww. Thoughts become things. But you're right to a degree. See, this is two sides of that same paradoxical coin. It's like, yeah, you can talk all day long about being super spiritual, but if you don't actually do anything other than that, you're not going to be as effective as a person who goes, who does say the right words and he learns all the right knowledge. And then he goes and he like makes something super cool because he, he's like, I have to do something to fix this. And then he does it. Yeah, I think a lot of it is kind of the degree of subtlety that a lot of people, you know, for example, myself, I wanted to be. Uh, an author, and I wanted maybe not fame, but I wanted some sense of uh, a legacy and permanence. And uh, I'm going on one of my thought things that are going wrong again. So I'm going to let it go. Cool. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with that. I kind of already forgot what you were just saying too. <laughs> Probably again a good reason to wrap things up. Maybe our brains need some oxygen, or I think so. I think uh, we had a very good run. Um, until next time, Karen. We you can be on the show anytime you want, as long as I'm I, also in agreement. <laughs> okay, I, I love that one. Uh, I just want to say it's a joy to meet myself and you. Oh, thank you. That's very beautiful. Yeah. I I will gratefully accept any invitations you extend and i'm definitely checking out your etsy shop okay great yeah yeah there's going to be a lot of stuff on there i've i'm trying to work the pricing out i kind of like the pricing so far but as i've been printing more and more of these off i'm like yeah maybe i've got enough of them to where i can just lower the price i've got some really fancy ones here and i was attached to them but like this pyramid for example with the eye with the crystal I was like, I'm ne never ever going to sell that. That's mine. And then I was like, well, what if someone gave me like $1,000? And I was like, okay, you can have it for $1,000. So I was like, why don't, the spirit was telling me, he was like, why don't you just put it on there for $1,000? And then I was like, okay, we'll do that. And then I lower it. And then I was like, the spirit was like, $750, that actually sounds like a good compromise. I, that sounds like a good one. Because this is like a once in a lifetime thing where I could accidentally break it in the exact perfect way to where there's an all-seeing eye with a crystal. I mean, that was a total accident. But sometimes the accidents work out. You know, the spirit can always make something really good out of even your, your uh, perceived mistakes and, and your actual mistakes, too. The serendipity. Like this or something better. Yeah, yeah you can always heal. There's, there's never so much damage. I mean, it might take the next lifetime, too. You know, paradoxically, but the, the the healing starts as soon as you're ready. And, and quartz is uh, self-healing. What is? A quartz is crystal is self-healing. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's neat.
<laughs> I'm sure it takes a while for a quartz. Maybe not though. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up. That's another very exciting episode of uh, Nathan's Freedom Zone. Let's all send Karen Lee some loving energy from the future. Karen, here it is coming in. Every listener. Thank you much. Uh, namaste. Um, namaste. <laughs> yeah, you have a very calming and. Uh, all of your little sayings are very, very enlightening, and I think you really understand the full picture. So I'd say you're on the path for sure. Thank you. Glad, glad you you uh, chose to join. So uh, until next time, goodbye, Karen Lee.